everyone, and welcome to the GoTech Please Don't Die podcast, a show devoted to tech going and hopefully not dying. I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. I'm Matt. And you may have heard our voices quite a bit over the past few years, but you would also probably recognize our guest this week from his voice also. Our guest this week is Chris Mykoski. Uh Chris, say hi. I thought maybe you would let me talk first and then people can guess. <laughs> like, what's, guess. That, what's the old game show where uh, people would guess based on the sound of somebody's voice? I don't remember the name, but Please yeah, good to, have you. good to be with you guys. Yeah. You may recognize his voice from doing play-by-play of... of basketball and football games for for louisiana tech when it's on espn plus and i mean you've called uh, several other things that aren't tech related too isn't that right yeah my schedule was really busy this fall i did uh, in addition to the four louisiana tech games where i was actually on color for those lynn rollins was in the play-by-play chair but i did uh, play-by-play for for uh, Stephen f austin home football games. Oh, you uh, called it, that like 100 point or 99 point, whatever it was game, right? 98 to nothing over Warner. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And were then you play, uh, and you were play by play for that. I was. Wow. Yeah. Did you have uh, a voice afterwards? <laughs> Barely. Barely. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a bizarre night. Uh, did a couple of rice football games on color. And then I did the full SMU volleyball schedule. Uh, for oh. ESPN Plus, and then uh, just wrapped up doing three bowl games for bowl season radio as the sideline reporter. Which three so, bowl games? Armed Forces, Frisco, and First Responder. That's a, just nice. all so around just, the DFW. Yeah, the, the Dallas tri- trifecta, I guess. Right. Last year, I did those three and the Independence, which I, I thought I would be on again, but they looked at the schedule and thought, you know, Armed Forces is going to end about 10, 30, 11, and then Independence early afternoon the next day. So I'd be getting into Shreveport 2 a.m. And the turnaround just looked like it would be a little too tough. And now I am really thankful for that, considering <laughs> the weather that I was in for the Armed Forces Bowl. I would have had to turn around and do the same thing over again in Shreveport. Mm. So I was glad to be inside the next day. Yeah. So I'm curious. You mentioned that you've done a lot of color commentary and then some play-by-play and now uh, some sideline reporting. What's the difference for you you know, going into the game, is the preparation different? Is, is the lead up different at all? Or, you know, what's your mindset going into those three different types of, of commentary? I think for color analysis is probably the job where I have to do the most prep work simply because that job is usually something reserved for former players and coaches. And Mm. I'm not one of those things. So I have to make up for that with knowing as much as I can about the teams and the players, having a lot of conversations, doing a lot of research. And my insight in that role is more towards being able to look back on those conversations and look back on everything I've read in the previous week, as opposed to picking up on the little intricacies of what's happening on the field necessarily, because, you know, I don't have those thousands of hours in the film room or on the game field or like a player or coach would, I have to rely on different things. Um, play by play. Uh, I guess it's more drilling on names and numbers because you don't want to have to look down. I, I make a, what's called a spotter board for every game. And I don't want to have to look down at that very often. Um, so you try to drill in on those and have as many names as numbers 
and your head as possible. Uh, so I don't have to do that for color because you have time while the play-by-play guy is pointing out who's who to find that in your notes. Um, and then for sideline reporting, it's a lot more of the finding the interesting human interest type mm-hmm. stories. Um, you know what a sideline reporter does. I mean, it's more of just, you know, when somebody makes a touchdown, it's, uh, you know, the, something interesting about that person, their life, their preparation, or what the coach said about them. And it's, it's just a different kind of preparation for each, each of those three things. Yeah, so you've mentioned that you have done the play-by-play, the color commentary, and the sideline reporting. Which of those three do you think you prefer the best? I enjoy play-by-play the most, and... You know, when Lynn has a conflict, whether it be uh, it's usually at LSU when he has a conflict, he also does some work for Auburn. Uh, he lives in Auburn now, makes the drive all the way over. Oh, to man. Yeah, he wanted to be close to his uh, grandkids over there. So, yeah, he but most of his work is still in Louisiana. So he is a road warrior. Um, <laughs> but when he has a conflict with an SEC game, they'll move me over to the play by play chair and uh, Teddy Allen will do the color with me. So I I I think my future is in play-by-play and I really enjoy it just kind of being able to be that lead on the broadcast and you know kind of figure out where the direction should go setting up the sideline reporter setting up the color guy to make a great point kind of mm-hmm. just being the quarterback of the show uh, I really enjoy that and I think it also helps me in my preparation because I can kind of outline the stories that I think we need to touch on and I know I'm going to hit them whereas if I'm doing color I can kind of ask Glenn all right be sure to guide me into this coming out of the commercial break but it may not be exactly where I want to go that kind of thing so uh again it's I think that's probably long term uh, where I need to be as well, because, you know, I'm never and I've and I've had this conversation with people who scout talent for ESPN in the linear sense, you know, hopefully being able to get up to do games for ESPN, U and two and, you know, obviously the mothership someday. I'm never going to get those roles as a color analyst. Those are going right. to go. Those are going to go to former coaches and players. I just, you know, no matter how well I do, that's not my background. That's not who they hire for those jobs. Right. Yeah. They really they went and hired Joe Buck to be the Monday Night Football guy for ESPN proper. They they could have taken you instead, I guess. <laughs> my wife is, you know, I don't think she quite knows how hard it is to get to the top of this, this business, but she asked me uh, not too long ago, like, do you think you're ever going to call a national championship? Like that's a far, re- I mean, I, <laughs> I, I did not, my career has been so fractured. I mean, I'm 44 years old and I still haven't cracked that linear uh, set yet. So, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to be doing what I'm doing. Obviously, want to keep rising in the business, but uh, you know, I had I haven't been concentrating on play by play for very long. So, um, you know, I'm happy to get where I can get, and we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, this seems like a good time to get into like your background. Like, how did you get into this? Why did oh, you want to well, do this? Before you do that, uh, me being me, I've got your LinkedIn pulled up here for your education. <laughs> And, doing uh, his research on the air. Uh, just wanted. To, did you go to Mizzou? Started there, and um, I've talked about this publicly now, so I guess I I can get it out there. I flunked out after three years, 
so I was spending way, way, way too much time at the student radio and TV stations and not enough time studying or going to class. So, oh. um, so you, yeah. Well, we, uh, I live in Kansas city. Okay. So I was, uh, I was like, well, and then I also saw you were a bat boy for the Rangers in the nineties. <laughs> That's my first LinkedIn re- entry, right? My, my very first job. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you can't get that particular job without some kind of connection. My grandfather was the original team doctor for the Rangers. So oh, wow. yeah. Cool. From when they moved to town in 1972. Yeah. 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 So he was a family doctor in Arlington in 1972, and there really wasn't very much of anything there. And uh, he became the team physician and held on to that p- job until he retired and, you know, had great relationships with everybody, including uh, Joe Macko, who was the clubhouse manager. And they were both day one employees. So, you know, Be he cool. kept pushing, you know, whenever Chris turns 16, I know he'll want to do that. And yeah, that's the the ultimate dream job for, for a kid who loves baseball. And that's pretty cool. And then it, did you finish up at Southeastern in Hammond, Louisiana? Right. So um, after about 10 years working, uh, decided to finally finish up and get that degree. And then 10 years after that, I got my master's. So See that um, from the University of Cincy. Yeah, and I'm starting next week. I will be an adjunct, adjunct professor. professor. Yeah, so that starts next week. So you go from college flunk out to adjunct professor uh, in the course of 22 right. years. So uh, I'd say I turn things around academically. Yeah, I wasn't bad. expecting an inspirational story when we <laughs> sat down to to do this. Yeah, don't don't let your dreams be dreams. Just fun stuff. Yeah. So, so was it the being a bat boy with the Texas Rangers turning that into the broadcasting career? Is that, or was, I guess it was probably more the student radio. Well, I, I, you were in Missouri. I started, I started making connections when I was a bat boy for sure. Um, you know, just kind of trying to meet every reporter and broadcaster I could because that's even then it's what I wanted to do. My, uh, my other grandfather was a sports writer. So, uh, getting to do what he did, you know, he was kind of always my idol professionally. And my mom was a great writer as well. So, uh, I was focused more on that. It was when I was 16 or 17 and, you know, the voice had fully dropped that somebody, (laughs) uh, I was interning at the Fort Worth star telegram and somebody there wanted to introduce me to a friend of his at, uh, WBAP, which is the big news talk radio station in Dallas. And uh, it was really from there where broadcasting kind of became my my dream after that. Before that, yeah, it was it was wanting to be a sports writer. That's really cool. So did someone tell you like, oh, hey, your voice dropped and it sounds nice. Like you should- <laughs> <laughs> it was it was something it was just something along the lines of with a voice like that, you need to meet my friend at the radio station. Okay. And, uh, you know, from there started, uh, you know, learning, obviously, as a high school student. And I was on the air. Uh, at WBAP doing reports on Ranger games and Cowboy games before I graduated from high school. So they wow. offered they offered me a full-time job before I went off to Mizzou. And, you know, I had to think about, you know, do you stay here and, you know, get to cover the teams you love and you'll figure out school at some point, maybe go to UTA or whatever. 
and um, you know, ultimately decided. That's where yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. So I I considered it, but ultimately just decided. You know, the lure of Mizzou and going to experience all they had. You know, was was too much. So um, you know, too came much back. Too. <laughs> well, <laughs> that football came, team was yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. Uh, but I did come back those those connections, and I I interned there again during college, and then that. Uh, same station group. It was the ABC Disney uh, station group in Dallas launched an ESPN radio station in town. And uh, they offered me a job after um, about a year after I left Missouri. So I was a, I started there three months after they launched. So all those, you know, connections and all that worked out very well getting to come back to Dallas again. So how did you get into, or what, I guess, what was your first foray into Louisiana tech athletics? Well, uh, from the ESPN radio station in Dallas, which I didn't really plan on leaving, my uh, best friend from college, James Adair, was the sports director at KTVE. And he had lost his weekend anchor. And he called me up and asked, you know, I doubt you really want to leave Dallas. I know you love it there. I know you love being close to family. But come over for a visit. Let's talk. Let's see if this might be something you would want to do. And, you know, at the time, I had never, other than driving through, I had never considered Ruston and Monroe, Louisiana to be a future home. You know, why would I leave Major League Sports in Dallas to go, you know, to a market um, where there aren't any big-time teams? And um, (laughs) the uh, but I got there and realized that, for one— you would get to cover three Division One programs, which made it really a special place for somebody who was learning to be a, a broadcaster. Because you know, usually a, a market of the Monroe Ruston size would not would be lucky to have one Division One program. So, kind of looked at that, and also kind of thought, you know, my long term dreams were in television in Dallas. And kind of after talking to some people who I valued their opinion, I realized I probably wasn't going to be able to rise from Dallas radio to Dallas television. I would have to go and pay my dues elsewhere, put a great tape together, and then maybe I'd be able to get back to Dallas. So all that to say, I turned from 99% not wanting to move to a week later deciding this is what I want to do, and I moved to Monroe. And, you know, got to clear, cover ULM, La Tech, and Grambling on a daily basis. Um, so that was my first exposure to it, you know, getting to come over and and cover uh, Coach Bicknell and the football team at that point. Uh, Ryan Motes was, you know, one of the first players I got to know when I, when I first arrived in town. And, um, you know, they were incredibly open at Tech. And that's one of the first things I remember is that th- allowing – TV reporters to be at practice the entire time. Whereas, you know, years later when I took a job in Baton Rouge, you go down to LSU and you get to cover, you get to shoot five minutes of stretching and then they kick you out. So just that openness and the ability to, you know, talk to players and coaches whenever I wanted to. And, you know, they were, they wanted to create great coverage and they knew access was a big part of that. And that was Malcolm Butler, you know, Mm. that was his vision and reason 
for allowing that kind of access. He knew that was the way to sell the program and get more eyeballs on it. You know, back then, you know, there wasn't social media in the way it is now. You know, there was not, there wasn't the way to get highlights off Twitter or Facebook. It was waiting for the six o'clock and 10 o'clock newscasts. So what we put out there was very important. He wanted to do everything he could to help tech go above ULM every night. You know, that was kind of the battle for us in that in the sports department, figuring out what the, the top story was every evening. And, and usually it was from tech, ULM or Grambling. So if they didn't, if we didn't get the access we did, it would probably would have been tech less often. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess you mentioned earlier turning relationships into future opportunities. Was it building those relationships with tech that allow you to get the phone ringing as often as it does from tech asking to cover some of their football and basketball games now? Yeah, now, I mean, it, the the funny way things turn around that, yeah, these these the fact that Malcolm Butler is still there is incredible. And, you know, there's there would be a lot of schools where this many years later, I would probably turn around trying to call for potential freelance opportunities and nobody would be there that I still know. Whereas when I started concentrating on the freelance world, Malcolm was still there. Um, it was also that I was uh, make when I was making calls. It was Wayne Gentry who was in charge of the production for LaTeX at on ESPN three, and he was also doing uh, ULM games at the time, which he still does now. So when I uh, ended my position at the Southland Conference and started con- uh, concentrating on freelancing. Uh, it was Wayne who put me on ULM games, put me on tech games, and now now Wayne has moved on and is not working with tech anymore, but now it's uh, Jeff Watts Productions who handled uh, all the Southland Conference productions when I was there. So that's that's part of that. It's, it's my relationships with the folks at tech. It's my relationship with Jeff Watts, and uh, I've, you know, I'm very fortunate that tech has basically allowed me to be on every broadcast that I've been available for, you know, since I started freelancing because, you know, when, when Lynn's available, they put me in the color chair. They trust me in that position, which as I mentioned earlier, not being a former coach or player, they have every reason not to, but uh, you know, and then allowing me to do the play by play when Lynn's not available. uh, I think, you know, part of that is there's been validation from outside the university in that, Lynn and I have won uh, the Louisiana Sports Writers Association Best Broadcast Team honor for two of the last three years. So there's some val- oh, wow. some validation there that that we're pretty good at what we do. This past week, you called the UTSA game. Um, so we figured we get your thoughts on that as we kind of recap how that game went. Uh, this wasn't a game where Tech went on a run and UTSA wasn't able to recover. The Bulldogs were just a bit better for all 40 minutes. The Roadrunners held an 11-7 lead early on, but that would be their last lead of the game. Tech built a 10-point lead, 33-23, with seven minutes left in the first half, but UTSA cut in a bit before intermission, making it 43-36. It was 55-46 Tech with 16 minutes left when both teams just went ice cold. Only three of the next 17 shots went in. But the Bulldog offense quickly woke up, scoring on their four scoring on 14 of their next 16 possessions, and UTSA had no answer as the Tech lead climbed to 20 
84 to 64 with four and a half minutes left. But Talvin Hester's defensive first philosophy didn't let up as the Roadrunners were only able to sink one more field goal for the rest of the game and Tech wins handily 91 to 69. That, I was the only one in the group that predicted that Tech was going to beat up on UT. I predicted yeah, I th- a 20-point yeah. win. I thought we were going to lose it. I said a 7-point win. So, Matt, you were definitely more correct here. I didn't even know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> hey, own it, man. Yeah. You from had the, it right. From watching the broadcast, like I said early on during that recap, it just felt like Tech was better in almost all phases of the game. Is that what it looked like, Chris, from the sideline yeah. as well? Yeah, and I UTSA, unfortunately for them, they just don't have a whole lot of valuable pieces right now. I think unless they are able to rebuild significantly, they're going to have a really hard time in their first year in the American oh, next yeah. year. That's going to be really rough on them. But, um, you know, Bugs being able to perform as well as he did, that was really their only individual bright spot. And the fact that it was a local product who had a ton of his fans in the house. That was really cool to see. I mean, he went to Summerfield High School and, you know, you saw it was probably a good 75 people in those custom made Bugs fan club shirts. And oh, that's cool. the, The fact that he could do that well and the home team could pick up a lopsided win. It was almost the perfect one, two punch when you wanted the storyline there because, you know, again, UTSA, at least from my perspective coming in, they had been blown out by North Texas in that previous game. So I didn't have a great expectation for them being able to hang in Ruston. So the fact that bugs did so well, but you know, they did not come through is kind of, it was made for at least one good roadrunner storyline because that's the worst when, you know, you're going through a blowout game and you don't have anything positive to talk about on the other side. Yeah. Bugs into the night with 20 points, six of eight from three point land. Just incredible performance by him. His name is Bugs. His last name is Bugs. His first name is John. Real big contrast between uniqueness of first and last name. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I mean, Nathan, just looking at the box score here, right? Tech had 11 more rebounds, nine fewer turnovers, scored 18 more points off turnovers than the Roadrunners did. Uh, And really the big one for me, 38 more points in the paint. And we talked about how Tech might want to try to defend the three point um, and maybe let them inside. That that did not happen. (laughs) They did not score points. in the. That is why you do not coach. Exactly. That's what I don't know what I'm talking about. Tech scores 54 (laughs) points in the paint in this game, which is fantastic. uh, Yeah, pretty good. Shot 54 percent from the field, too. So that'll that'll do it. Most games, except for when we play ULL, apparently. Yeah, it was the three-point shooting that we were afraid of last week, too, from UTSA. Uh, and, I mean, there was reason, to. They hit 55% of their shots, 12 of 22 from three-point land. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. in a night where anything else works for them, that's scary. But I think that's the only reason they were able to stay close throughout the first half. Even the second half, it felt like Tech was in control. UTSA was, UTSA was just staying in. But because of their three-point shooting, it didn't become a 20-point game until much later in the game than it probably should have been. Yeah, I don't have the box score in front of me, but I know, you know, Medor was somebody that we focused on off the top of the broadcast and certainly expected him to to light things up and and do a lot better than he did. Um, so I think the fact that they were able to hold him in check, I think one thing I don't think I mentioned on the broadcast, I don't think it ever came up, was that he was a little bit late getting back to San Antonio because of all the travel issues. 
Uh, He, you know, so many, like so many other people, but uh, the team had been practicing for a couple of days and he still had not made it back to San Antonio from his home in Florida after Christmas. So his preparation was shorter than, than most. I'm sure he got some workouts in back home, but not the same as training for your team and specifically, you know, looking at the scout for, for tech. So that probably had some kind of ill effect on the Roadrunners. The fact that their top point scorer uh, wasn't, didn't have a full week of practice. Yeah, he scored eight points, uh, seven assists, so not bad there, but um, also had four turnovers um, to go along with four fouls as well. So I think, yeah, that that definitely um, played a role. I mean, that's crazy to think about, like Southwest canceling all those flights just like actually impacted a lot of sports um, as well. And I think the looking at this box score, Isaiah Crawford, zero turnovers in this game. I mean, he's been probably averaging four four or so per game so uh he really seemed to turn it on in this game from tech's perspective 20 points six steals zero turnovers so yeah that's, and, that's- and anytime he has a night like that that just what fun to see just considering everything that he's been through a great story to root for and from our perspective you know on the broadcast something that we continue to refer to and that you know all the trouble he's been through and if he stays healthy how great that's going to be for tech down the stretch here. Uh, normally during the games, Kane McGuire will tweet out these fun facts and, you know, I will certainly, I have a column going on tweet deck uh, next to the stat, the stat broadcast and making sure I can catch those fun facts when Tate, uh, when Kane puts them out. But because of it being on break and he didn't have his usual student assistance, he had to run the stat crew software during that UTSA game. So he was not able to uh, tweet his fun facts at the same time. So it had to wait until afterwards to find out about this record. But uh, Isaiah, he was only the third bulldog in program history to record at least 20 points and six steals in a single game. Wow. And did you see I, who the other two were? I, 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 I saw the tweet. I don't remember. Uh, Mike McConaughey and Paul Millsap. Oh, man. Shout out, yeah, Paul pretty, Millsap. Yeah, pretty pretty good names to be uh in the same tweet as <laughs> um yeah i mean also keeson willis kind of getting going in this game too so uh just a pretty pretty solid performance from the bulldogs all around um really nothing jumps out as a negative here nathan did you have anything that that you wanted to hit on here as in terms of something tech could have done better yeah, and this was something that both teams could have done better on, but it became a theme of Louisiana Tech this past week, and that was free throw shooting. Uh, the team had actually been averaging above national average in free throw shooting uh, going into these two games, but against UTSA, they shot 62% from the free throw line against Charlotte, which we'll talk about in a second, but they shot 58% from the free throw line, and the average is around 70 usually uh, for the country. So something that I was really happy about, we don't have to talk about free throw shooting anymore. We're good at this now. It really kind of stunk to see a bad week from the Bulldogs. And it didn't matter as much against UTSA because we won the game by yeah a lot. <laughs> Let me do some math. But it's it's good when you have to do some math to remember how many points you won by. But <laughs> it, it became a bigger deal against Charlotte. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, we're going to skip Charlotte for a second so we can go ahead and preview Rice with with Chris since he's going to be on that call. Um, so yeah, I'm, sorry gonna, for, I'm sorry for screwing up the normal order of things. Oh, no. 
You're good. <laughs> Obviously not a regular listener. I'll get, I, I know. No, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> part, part of my game day routine, and it, and it will continue to be so, that I'll pull up this week's episode on my way to Ruston every single time. So Okay, but, no. but will it's you listen touchy. to this week's episode on your way to go to the rice game <laughs> that you're calling to listen to yourself talk about the rice game? I'm that vain where okay. yes, I will. <laughs> All right. I was, I listen to the show too, even though I sit through. Yeah, my excuse is editing it. So I have to listen to I it. I almost but. never listen to the show. Although recently when I'm washing bottles, I listen to the show. Oh, okay. I, that, I don't know why Julia thinks it's very vain of me to do so. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't you get tired of listening to yourself? I know I do. Like, well, it's great. Is this, is this game in yeah. Houston? It's in Houston yeah, against the yeah. number 168 ranked in Ken Palm Rice Owls, who are 11 and three on the year. Not bad. Uh, I, yeah, not bad from a team I don't really think of in terms of being a, a conference powerhouse when it comes to men's basketball. The three losses on the year so far this year came against Pepperdine, which is number 136, Middle Tennessee, an interesting conference game that took place in mid November. They're 119th in <laughs> Texas. I have no idea. They in Texas, number seven. That was an overtime game played in Austin. Eight, 87 oh, wow. to eighty one was the final score there. The other two losses though were blowouts. The Pepperdine score one hundred and six to sixty seven. Uh, here's a useless factoid. Do you know where Pepperdine University is? I just looked it up. So Los Angeles. Area. I, I yeah I, Malibu. I, oh, I didn't know that. Malibu. I, I've been there. I've been on a campus tour there. It's incredible. I, wow. If you if you walk onto campus there and you have the means. You don't want to go anywhere else. I'll tell you, I'll say that much. <laughs> it's a very nice school. I had a buddy who went to grad school there. Huh. Yeah, well, the, the Waves crushed the Owls 106 to 67 and Middle Tennessee in the same conference, even. The Blue Raiders beat Rice 81 to 46. Ugh. Yeah, but since then, I mean, what are they, 10 and 1 with the only loss being to number seven Texas in overtime? And they, they've, this past weekend just beat Western Kentucky on the road uh, by three points, 81 to 78, and then also beat UTEP uh, on the road as well in overtime by five. So it seems like they've really found their groove here lately. Yeah. All three losses were on the road as well. So having tech travel to Houston to play the Owls is not ideal for us right now. I don't think Yeah, looking at this team though, and how they play, they are decent from three point range. Very good shooting twos and are an above average free throw shooting team, um, like a lot of teams that we faced. Uh, but defensively is where they really struggle, uh, both shooting, three point shot percentage allowing 35%, that's 249th in the country. Uh, close in range shots, two point percentage, uh, they're 309th in the country. Uh, don't get blocks, don't get steals, uh, don't get turnovers very often. They do get defensive rebounds. That's the one thing they are, that they are able to do on defense. But it's kind of interesting to see this dichotomy between a team that's able to shoot the ball very well, but not able to do much on the defensive end. And they lack depth. That's one thing that really stuck out to me in my initial look at the team. Uh, you know, they only had six players who really had any kind of playing time at all. They had a few, a couple of guys who got in for five minute spurts who didn't do anything uh, to speak of. So that's, that's probably going to be a problem for them as they get a little bit further into this conference season. And obviously if they end up picking up any sort of injury, they're going to be in real trouble. 
But, uh, you know, they have they have some guys with some experience. Max Fiedler, it's kind of if he feels like the kind of guy who's been there for seven years and he's just a junior eligibility wise. Uh, so I, I really remember liking him a lot in the instances I saw him last year. And then they added in uh, a freshman named Makai Mason, who has been their leading scorer several times this season. So getting to see him for the first time coming up this week, uh, clearly an all-around game for him. I mean, he scored 19 points, had five rebounds, four steals the other night in their win against UTEP. So a mix of old and young who are contributing a lot. Yeah, and you're not kidding about just having not a lot of depth. Uh, Ken Palm has a thing called percentage of minutes, so it's saying how often the player is on the court, how many minutes do they play of the total available minutes. So Tech has two players that have at least 70% of the minutes, so they're on the court 70% of the time. That's Kobe Williams and Keiston Willis. Rice has five. Their starting lineup is on the court more than 70% of the time. All five players. That's crazy. I've never seen seen anything like that. You don't need no depth. (laughs) I mean, they have players on the bench. They just choose not to use them out of some sort of personal slide, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, and so I'm I'm looking at the box scores from last year just to kind of compare their roster this year to what happened last year. Tech went two and zero. Uh, Tech won eighty three to seventy nine on the road and eighty to sixty three at home in Ruston. So I, it looks like Carl Pierre is really the only person who's moved on from this box score that had a big impact in either game. Uh, he scored twenty, but Travis Evie and Max Fiedler were the other two guys that that really gave Tech problems especially in that Houston game uh Fiedler with 19 points and uh Evie as well with 19 points so uh Evie doing a lot of his damage from outside as well that was my player to watch last time Max Fiedler I called him Fiedler yeah. on the roof Fiedler on the roof you did that's right how could we ever forget that yeah, it, incredible joke and that's that's a pretty good player to pick again Matt <laughs> here because I mean in terms of his Ken Palm numbers, he's third in the nation in effective field goal percent, seventy three percent. His two point, like his actual two pointer percentage, is seventy six percent, which is Ridiculous. sixth best in the nation. Ridiculous. So, uh, you know, this six eleven, uh, two thirty five junior, um, like you said, it feels like he's been there a long time, Chris, but he's only a junior, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna be working inside for Rice. Yeah, three straight double doubles coming into this one, Ooh. so. Yeah, you have to have to contend with this guy. It's uh, he he's going to be tough to deal with, but you know the heavyweight fight down low is something that is always fun to watch. So you know if he and and Crawford can go at it quite a bit, that I'll enjoy that a lot. And um, I'll be on the call for that one with Nate Griffin, who has the best Twitter handle of anybody who does that job. Uh-huh. He is at he is at Color Analyst. On Twitter, what a fantastic <laughs> got it early, wow. yeah, yeah. He got it in 2008, and it's like I, for him. I'm the color analyst. They're not piss off Elon. That's awesome. <laughs> Evan, do you want to give your thoughts on the uh, the Rice game? Rice game, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just looking at at Rice and and like Chris said, I think uh, a lot of it is going to come down to can we control or stop Max Fiedler? You know, last year it was really fun to watch him battle with Junior Lofton. Obviously, uh, we don't have Junior Lofton anymore. Um, unfortunately, you know, we've we've given him to the world. Um, so, you know, just looking at Rice being 23rd ranked in two point percentage offensively versus Tech being 
263rd defending that same category. Uh, I don't know, man. It it seems it seems like a tall order to go into Houston, upset Rice on the road when they've won, you know, five straight games and haven't even lost at home all season. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say Rice pulls this one out. If this were a home game for Tech, I'd feel a little better about it. But even then, I mean, those numbers don't look too great. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? X going to win by 20. <laughs> it worked go. last time. Right, Why won't it yet. this time? Yeah, it's it te- a Texas school, no less. Yeah, I'm more with, with Evan, though. I think that Rice, I'm kind of surprised that Ken Palm only has this as a two-point game with Rice winning. I really think it'll be more than that. The Owls have shown this year that they are a force to be reckoned with. Then again, the times that they're not, the times that they, they fail and fall on their face, it's by 20 or more points. Uh, so... Yeah, that was it's also going to be November seventh and November fifteenth, though. You yeah, know? but against Pepperdine and Middle Tennessee, schools that are ranked not too much better than what Tech is. So and that's true. And and Western Kentucky, which is one ranking off of where Tech is right now in the Kempom ranks, was only a three point game, even though Rice was victorious in it. I still think this is a game Tech loses by, let's say, ten, like seventy nine to sixty nine. I'll say it's a five point game. Yeah, Chris, it was great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for uh, sharing everything and and allowing us to do that interview and sharing your notes from the UTSA game. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug or keep us up to date with? Well, I'd like to tell you that one of my wife's favorite items in her stocking was the December Go Tech Please Don't Die shirt of the month. Okay, nice. D- yeah. So did your you wife d- did your wife go to tech or is she just you know, sort of through osmosis of you calling our games a, a tech fan now. Two time tech grad. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that uh that she likes the the shirt. It was a nice stocking stuffer. And now, you know, Nathan, I guess we missed an opportunity to advertise it as such, but um, you know, there's a there's a January shirt now. So <laughs> people can buy that. <laughs> I'll just say again, it was great talking to you. Well yeah, and Chris, how can people follow you, follow along with your work and you know, um Obviously, you're going to be calling tech games, but uh, what's your Twitter handle? Mike Hosky. So uh, if you have a hard time with Polish last names, I'll spell that for you. M-Y-C-O-S-K-I-E. And uh, the link on my Twitter is to my uh, website, which includes a calendar of all my future broadcasts. So you can check those out if, you know, most of the time when tech is on ESPN+. Plus, You'll find me there when uh, by the time uh, they scheduled out games this season, I already had a couple of conflicts, so I won't be there for all of them this season, but uh, I'd say 90%. Yeah, so if you enjoyed that talk that we just had with Chris, uh, feel free later this week. We'll have another episode out where we have uh, a little deeper conversation. Not everything was able to make the main show, but we wanted to present everything because it was a lot of interesting talk that we didn't quite get to be able to edit down uh, to our normal runtime. Uh, But that being said, we're still going to quickly go through the Charlotte game that was this past week and the UTEP game that's this upcoming week and not spend too much time on them. One, because Charlotte was a loss and because UTEP already was a loss and now we have to play them again, but also because time things. But yeah, so let's talk about the 49er game. Yeah, we're tired. It it is late. It's it's New Year's Day and it's like 11 p.m. for Nathan. So, you know, the... Staying up late last night it, uh, is catching up with us, I think. Yeah, I drove through two Taco Bell drive-thrus. Both were closed. Eventually found a McDonald's at one oh, in the God. morning. Yeah, so I've had a oh, long wow. day today. 
Okay, here we go. Here's the, here's the recap of the Charlotte game. Shots were not falling early for either team. Only four shots made in the first 14 possessions. Neither team was able to get anything going until about the eight minute mark where Charlotte kicked off a 14 to two run to go up 35 to 24. Tech was able to cut into that deficit a bit before the half, heading into the tunnel down 40 to 32. Nothing much changed early in the second half with 12 minutes left. The 49er lead was still about the same, 55 to 46. But then Tech went on a 13 to 2 run to take a 59 to 57 lead with six minutes left. But then suddenly all that momentum vanished. The Bulldogs only made one more shot over the next five minutes and that allowed Charlotte to retake the lead and then hold on winning 68 to 66. Uh, yeah, I mean, close game. I, I think we were thinking it would be a bigger loss. So I guess that's something we can take away from it. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it sucks to lose a game like this where you're close. I'm just kind of looking at the game notes here. Um, we're trying to keep this really brief, but, you know, Coach Hester said that that they got a little sloppy with the ball, especially after they took the lead. And they just weren't able to to do enough and play clean enough. And we've seen that, you know, at times throughout the season as well. So, you know, it's it's not great when we only had 10 turnovers in this game. But, you know, in those crucial moments, you just can't afford to to have those turnovers and, and just not keep the lead. Yeah, And outside of turnovers too, something big from this game was free throw shooting. I mentioned it earlier when we were talking about UTSA, but. This game was decided by two points, and granted, it was only two points and not four because Tech made a shot at the buzzer, and they actually went to the review table to see if it counted or not. But Tech shot oh, 58. I just turned it off immediately. Did they? Yeah, they went to the wow. review table. Yeah, I had it up on the radio at that point. But yeah, that <laughs> they went over, talked to them, went, well, it counted. Yeah, 58% free throw shooting this game. Completely mm-hmm. unacceptable. Uh, Charlotte hit 77% from the free throw line, including six of their final seven which is huge in a game like this. Yeah. I feel pretty content having this only be a two point loss because this was not a team that we were supposed to beat. And this is kind of a rebuilding, finding ourselves kind of year for tech. But this is a game that once we kind of found our footing midway through the second half, we should have won this game. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we had an opportunity down five to hit two free throws with 22 seconds left in the game and missed one of them. So then you're down four instead of three. Right. And it's just, you know, then they make their free throws down the stretch. So, yeah, I mean, it it sucks that you play well enough to put yourself in a position to be up two with 324 left on the road against a good team, like we said last week. And you just you just can't get it done there down the down that three minute stretch, only scoring essentially three more meaningful points the whole rest of the way you score at the buzzer. But, you know, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay, so now. Why don't we jump in and preview UTEP, a team that we also lost to a few weeks ago? Yeah, just a refresher. We lost this game on the road 60 to 55 back on December 17th, heading back home uh, this week and uh, taking on number 201 UTEP. Ken Palm's got it at a 70% chance for Tech to win 69 to 63. Yeah, Nathan, I mean, we obviously previewed this team a few weeks ago. What do you what do you want to say about them real quick? Yeah, so, I mean, they beat us back in December 17th. They've played four games since then, and they've only won one of them. They beat North Carolina A&T, uh, but then lost three games against three pretty good teams. Rice is the worst of them. UAB and Kent State are the others. They took UAB to double overtime before losing and Rice to single wow. overtime before losing. 
Uh, they do have a chance to recover, though, because they don't have a midweek game this week. So they are resting from New Year's Eve until we face them on Saturday at the TAC. So it's an interesting place to be for UTEP basketball right now. It seemed to be in a position like Tech where they're still trying to figure out what exactly they're doing as a basketball team because what they're not doing very well is shooting. Three-point shots especially. They are 361st in college basketball, third worst at hitting three-point shots. Free throws, (laughs) the exact same. Third worst at both three-point shooting and one-point shooting in college basketball. Yeah. Uh, Two-point shooting, they're above average, sure, hundredth best, hooray. But that doesn't seem to make up for the just piss-poor three-point and free-throw shooting. Yeah, I mean, their defense is pretty good. That's how they've won some games. Uh, you know, they, the Kent State game you mentioned, they they lost 47-46, to 46, so they're that kind of team. You know, they beat us 60-55, to 55, so... Uh, yeah, they've been in some higher scoring games, but they're not going to put up 90 points. Um, you know, but neither are we against this team. They're 32nd ranked in um, effective field goal percent defensively. Uh, they also force turnovers at a pretty good clip, but so does Tech. So that'll be interesting to watch. And UTEP's defense really does not allow the three ball. So I guess we're kind of lucky that, um, you know, Tech's offense doesn't necessarily rely on them as much as. Uh, Maybe we'd like them to in most weeks. But yeah, the I guess the player to watch really though is going to be Tay Hardy for me. Um, he is uh, six foot three. He's number two and he plays at the two. Uh, but he's the one that kind of went off in their first game against Tech, scoring fifteen points. The only player for them in double figures. You know, so we're gonna have to figure out an answer for him. And really, his one of his biggest impacts was uh, he had three steals before he ultimately fouled out of the game. So, um, you know, interesting to see if tech can kind of scheme around him. Yeah. The player I have my eye on is Mario McKinley. Tay Hardy is who kind of dominated the Bulldogs last time, but the only person who shoots the ball more on the season for UTEP is McKinney. It's a McKinley earlier. It's McKinney. Uh, Not super effective, but none of this team really is at, at shooting the basketball, but he'll take a lot of shots. And if he happens to be hot on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, then it could be a long night for Louisiana Tech. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the fact that this is a home game makes this a much more um, makes me much more confident in this game. You know, like I said, Ken Palm's got it at a 70 percent chance for us to win. Um, we've played pretty pretty well especially in our home game last week so i think tech will pull this one out i'll say it'll be ugly something like 65 to 57 or something like an eight point win yeah i can see that i think again it will be a low scoring game but i think tech does better at home we found some pieces over the past couple weeks that have started to play a little better we started to understand what we have isaiah crawford getting hot at the right time seems to be helping too like most games, it comes down to whether or not Keystone Willis can hit three-pointers. Just always seems to be the kind of thing. But I think that we just end up on the other side of the coin flip this time, and we're able to take down the Miners in Ruston. And so I'll and say that we win the game by 12. The Texters uh, beat UTSA by 5, 62-57, lost uh, on the road at Charlotte, 66-57 in that Conference USA Championship game rematch on Saturday. Um, so the Texters went one and one uh, this upcoming week. They play at home against Rice on Thursday and then on the road at UTEP, both games on Conference USA TV. And then uh, this week's tweet of the week, I'm going to make an executive decision here and give it to um, at Tech 
XXII or our boy at, at tech 22 tweeting out a picture of our beautiful bulldog boy courtside at a basketball game. And he said, and he's sticking out his tongue looking kind of sad. And he says, my feeling about getting on a scale after Christmas. And you know what tech, I feel that in my soul. So you get tweet of the week for that. Uh, it's, you know, it's a new year, new me. Let's, let's work out together. Techie. Yeah, you would think that he, he walked to work rather than driving his Bugatti. He could lose some of that weight, but uh, he, needs to, he needs to join uh less guys on his, you know, uh, morning walks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That about wraps it up for this episode of the go tech, please don't die podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at G O T E C H P L S D N T D I E. Or head to our blog, gtbdd.dog, where Evan, you have a new post out this week. Yeah, didn't tell anybody, just felt the urge to write on Thursday. I was like, you know what? I don't even know, man. I'm going to write something for the site. And then I sat down and and wrote something for the site, damn it. You went, oh crap, I need to get one more post in in 2022 or else something bad happens. And if I wasn't so tired, I'd think about what that bad thing was and have a funny (laughs) joke, but I don't. Yeah, go ahead, go to the blog, read that post. Uh, looking back on the year 2022 for Louisiana Tech. And while you're there, head to the shop where it's now January. So you can now get the January shirt of the month. It's basketball season right now. So we have a basketball themed shirt. It's hand check. You know, the hand check that the hoop troop leader does each game. Evan, I believe that was your job at one point. Certainly was my job, sir. Yeah. Your freshman year. That was me. That was you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's. It's an art, man, being able to yell that loud so where people can actually hear you. Yeah, I don't know if I have it in me anymore to yell handshake across the tank, but... What you could do instead was buy the shirt. Much easier than yelling all the time. It's it's just wearing it on your body. Go ahead and check that out, gtpdd.dog slash shop. And until next time, I'm Nathan. I'm Evan. And I'm Matt. And go tech. Please don't die. to 69 nice nice <laughs> that was my my caption on facebook that next morning when i talked about doing that game it was not so nice for the road <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to know that when i hit my 40s it's still appropriate humor <laughs> <laughs>